This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour going. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome. Welcome to the Hot Stove Lounge. It is Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. Busy hour ahead for you and lots to get into as uh, the Flames kick off a six-game home homestand on Tuesday night that leads them into the All-Star break. It is Tuesday, January 16th as we get this hour going and uh, we get this hour going with lots of insight leading up to the trade deadline which is now less than two months away. It's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today and uh, on this Tuesday edition of Inside Hockey, we say hello to our NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Frank, appreciate the time as always, my friend. And uh, I, uh, your, your Western Conference objectives are out up at Daily Faceoff. I gave it a good read earlier on this Tuesday. You. And 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 I uh, I appreciate it because the timing is perfect and I I gotta say I I read the whole thing um, and obviously one Come of on, these you can't hang that long. I absolutely I took I had to like take some breaks it hurts my brain but after after the the third or fourth time I got it all in no I liked I, I like the way that you it was it's not just buyers and sellers you've got some uh, other different categories in there when it comes to the 16 Western Conference teams and you know the the one that fit under what is it uh, trade deadline central that's the category that you put the Calgary Flames in yeah I mean look I can't really think of a more impactful team when it comes to the trade deadline than the Calgary Flames. I mean, it seems like their fingerprints, Craig Conroy's fingerprints are going to be all over what happens in this trade deadline period over the next 53 days. So, and, and the last word that you used was, or last two words, buckle up because as it stands right now, it kind of feels that way. Like, we've got an idea as to what's going to happen and how they're going to go about it, but still it feels like there's some things that could surprise us here. So how how do you uh, kind of characterize the approach the Flames will take to this deadline? I think it's going to be methodical and patient. I think they're going to really have a full grasp of the market I think there's a number of teams that are sort of waiting to see the complete picture of everyone that's potentially available. I think we're probably two, three, maybe four weeks away at the most from really having a good sense of what that looks like. I don't think there's going to be very many late additions this year that all of a sudden a team goes south in the final week, maybe outside of Pittsburgh, that you could see it you know, a few new names enter the mix. I think for the most part, we have a pretty decent idea of what the standings are kind of going to look like, uh, you know, a surprise run or two here or there that might be in the mix. But other than that, like, I, I think the Flames are in prime position to really capitalize on this market that's in place, whether it's moving a defenseman, whether it's having the premier center available, um, they're right there in terms of being a driver at this deadline. 
has and and from who you've spoken to, whether it be with the Flames or around the league, do you get the sense that the way they've played recently has changed the way that they have got or, or, or are going to go about things? They have played better of late. They've taken mm-hmm. some big wins in this playoff fight over the last couple of weeks. Do you do you get the sense that that really dramatically alters their course? I don't think so. And I guess it's possible, like the potential exists for it to change at some point. And I think the Flames front office group is is really pleased with how competitive they've been. I think the way that they've played digging out of the two, seven and one start that they had has been good. I think there's been some real bright spots. Jacob Markstrom has been this team's unquestioned MVP and is Underlying numbers are tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that um, even the last couple games, getting a little bit more from Jonathan Huberto and starting to see a little bit of positive energy, I think has been really important. But on the whole, in terms of where this team is heading, big picture, 30,000 foot view, I don't think a couple wins here or there really changes the overall dynamic, which is we've got pieces that we either need to fish or cut bait with. And if we are going to fish and and sign a long-term commitment, man, you better be really convinced that this group can win. And I don't, there just hasn't been enough convincing for me. I can't speak for the flames front office. Right. That, That said, I do think that Noah Hannafin remains very much in play to sign a contract. I don't think there's anything new there in the sense that they've talks have remained, you know, extremely amicable. I think they're positive in nature for the most part. I think the flames have made clear that, you know, they're, they're willing to go to the length that they were earlier in the season to make this happen. And they haven't gotten a, a, you know, a, an okay yet. They haven't had the Hannafin camp put pen to paper. And so I think that part has been frustrating. But, Pat, like, go and replay some of the conversations you and I had in September. Yeah. I was saying then you, you can't possibly trade every player that's a pending UFA and then say two, three years from now we want to try and be competitive again. It's just – you're digging too deep. And so I think the flames recognize that. And I think that especially on defense, that really makes sense to, to just want to have three holdovers if you can between Uyghur Anderson and Hannafin Mm -hmm. to help anchor what that blue line looks like moving forward. How does the because the the rumored numbers are uh, anywhere in like the forty nine million ish over seven to sixty million over eight when talking about Noah and a long term deal those have been kind of the the rumored ranges how do those seven seven and a half million per year on a long term deal how does that strike you for who Hannafin is I think when you look at where the game is going and what the cap is increasing to, you might look at it right in the here and now, and I think it's closer to seven and a half than it is seven, that it probably feels a tad rich, but I think he's a pretty well-rounded defenseman, and I think given like what cap percentages are going to look like in pretty short order, this, this is more or less 
kind of, if, if I say this and it makes any sense, it's a cost of living adjustment to the level that Hannafin's been playing at. It's a raise for sure based on his current deal. Mm-hmm. But in terms of percentage of cap and where it's heading, this is more sort of in the ordinary course line of business, if that makes sense. One more on the Flames, and, and something that I get asked frequently, uh, whether it's taking calls after games or on our text line, and, and one of the things that I, I keep on uh, assuring people of, in, in my opinion, I especially on the Hannafin front and on the Lindholm front, I don't think Craig Conroy will let those guys go past the deadline without a decision. I don't no. think that they will sign. I don't think that they will be unsigned past the deadline. They'll either be signed by March 8th or they'll be dealt by March 8th. And I, I really, as, as difficult as that might be, even if they are in this wild card fight, I keep assuring people that that is where they're at. Is that, is that what you understand as well? Yes, and, and more to your point, Unless something has changed, I don't really think there's been much dialogue between the Flames and Lindholm's camp. So I, I don't I think it's it's probably a bit premature to say that it's a foregone conclusion that they're moving on from him, but it certainly I think is fair to say that it seems to be trending in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like even in this market, Frank, like of the of the three big names, he's the one that people are kind of resigned to moving on from here. Because yeah, and anything anything that you hear is that the same conversations from September where they were at a certain level, the the Lindholm camps demands haven't really changed. So we right. kind of remain at a standstill, has, right? His production has, and for and sure that should account for a pretty significant drop in the demands. And if it doesn't, you're just dealing with an unrealistic party and that's not easy. Uh, Frank Saravalli is with us. He is our daily face-off NHL insider joining us here this hour on Flames Talk. Let's uh, dive in on a few of the other Western Conference teams as they move towards the trade deadline. And uh, the the news just keeps getting worse in Vegas. They thought Jack Eichel was nothing, and then they thought it was minor. And now he's had surgery, and he's week-to-week um, knowing that Eichel's out. And they're also without Carlson and Theodore and Hill and others. Um, what what is Vegas's approach as they move towards the deadline? By the way, the old classic lower body surgery. I know lower body surgery. That's it's amazing that he's only week there. to week to week for surgery on his entire lower body. <laughs> yeah, like I, both knees, quads. I've never everything. seen that before. <laughs> I got to tell you, like been covering this league for fifteen years on the daily and I've never heard of a lower body surgery. <laughs> that was new to me too. That's a good point. Yeah, that's pretty epic. Um I think their approach is wait and see. Look, I this is what I wrote in in my my Western Conference objectives. They they don't back down. Like the the night does not retreat. Like it's it's printed everywhere around that arena and in their offices and I just don't foresee this team that was the Stanley Cup champion last year with a really solid team when everyone's healthy, all of a sudden just kind of punting on this year. I I think what they need to do is get closer to March 8th, determine their biggest priorities, and then go out and tackle it because they've desperately missed Shea Theodore, to your point. And now they're going to have a test without Eichel, and they've been without Hill, 
And Carlson has looked like a shadow of himself with just a handful of points this year before he finally goes out of the lineup. Like they've hit a wall proverbially and, um, you know, figuratively as well. Like their, their play wasn't great after their unbelievable start to the year. They've been more or less a meandering 500 team Mm -hmm. and the injuries have been off the charts. So it's not just, injuries it's injuries to really core pieces on a team that has a a, i'd say the most interesting salary cap structure in the league they pay their stars they have like one or two guys kind of making like middle class nhl money and then they've got a bunch of guys that don't make anything at all and when you have to rely on those guys to win you're dealing with a significant you know, disparity in talent with the rest of the league. Yeah. Um, Vancouver, they, uh, they, they, there's a lot of talk in that market about just how dialed in they're going to be to try to maximize this season. That credit to you, you, uh, you were far more uh, optimistic about the Canucks doing what they're doing than I was going back to September. So I'll take the hard L on that one, and uh, you get the W, Frank, because they're having an incredible year. They they seem like they are a legit contender with the way Demko is playing and their elite skaters are playing. So what more can Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin do here? Well, they're going to do something. That part was sort of made clear by – Patrick Alvin in a great interview with um, Ian McIntyre today on sportsnet.ca. And he got some interesting nuggets and tidbits. One is that the team will dictate how aggressive they are. And given that they've been flirting with first place overall in the league for the last couple weeks would probably indicate that they're going to be pretty darn aggressive. And I think that's an exciting thing from a Canucks standpoint, because if you look at the hallmark of Jim Rutherford's tenures, winning three Stanley Cups already, one of the unreal traits that he's had has been able to find the missing piece, whether it was Trevor Daly or Ron Hainsey or uh, some of the guys that he brought into Carolina, if I remember correctly, I think it was Mark Recchi. Like he, he's had the golden touch, or I should say the silver touch, when it comes to putting yeah. together that puzzle to win the Stanley Cup. And that part's exciting. The, the real interesting part of what Ian McIntyre got from Patrick Alvin is you really started to see some of the kind of cracks in, in frustration that's been building internally with the Canucks. Like I reported in November at the GM meetings in Toronto that they have been yep. trying to talk with Elias Pettersson and his camp, and it just – they're, they, they're aggressive. They want to get this done. And they're just not getting, you know, engagement from the other side. And I don't think it's because Pedersen is not interested in committing. It's just that it's not really top of mind for him right now as he's trying to just play his best hockey. And that's kind of screwing up their plans because you, you I guess you could go blind and, and just sort of ballpark a number for Pedersen to be at next year. But let's say you wanted to go out and get an impact player that has term, or then you wanted to re-sign that player that you're acquiring. You can't really do it without getting the proper biggest pieces of the puzzle set first. 
And that's the part that I think they're struggling with is, man, we we're ready to rumble here. Like we got to get something done and it's bothering them that they're not getting it. Right. Right. What about, uh, what about Edmonton? Are they, I know that they have cap issues and, and not a lot of wiggle room, but are they, will they make some sort of move and, and try to augment a little bit here? Yes, without a doubt. This is, I said it from the beginning of this season, and it was true when they were scuffling, as we know that they fired their coach and also demoted their $25 million goalie. This is a burn the boats type year in Edmonton. Like they are going to be adding, they're going to be swinging big. You're talking about the potential of multiple future assets, meaning multiple years if they need to, to acquire the right piece. And the question is where and does it change between now and March 8th? Because right now it's either a third line center or second line right wing. It would be kind of easy if they were able to sign Corey Perry on the right wing, then you could go after if he's anywhere close to league minimum, then you could go after that third line center. I think there's mutual interest there, by the way. Okay. And if not, then you, you could probably use some resources to get another defender do you go after trying to get a 1B for Stuart Skinner to play in comfortable tandem with him? There's a lot of ways that the Oilers can go, and I, I don't think they're fully set yet, but it starts with that 3C or 2RW option. What uh, what more can you tell us there on the, the Perry-Oilers interest side of things? I, I think the Perry camp at this point in time is just fielding the expressions of interest. They're understanding what the marketplace looks like. They've been responding to, is my understanding, requests for due diligence to learn more about exactly what went down in Chicago. To my knowledge, I don't think very many teams have been scared off. Okay. I think there's been somewhere between five to seven teams that are, I think, authentically sort of in there. And... I just don't have any line of sight on timeline. How soon is Corey Perry looking to jump back in? When does it make sense for a team? It kind of feels to me like something that's post-All-Star break. But, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't bet my house on it. Okay. Um, what You know, we talk about the Flames and, and how their fingerprints will potentially be all over this deadline any of the other quote-unquote sellers that that really interest you that you're really dialed on here well that's kind of the disappointing part about the west is there's not really a whole ton to sell like look at chicago so like they just re-signed jason dickinson today they got nick felino done yep. probably gonna go after getting a new contract for peter morazic like you're picking at a carcass right now I don't know that there there's a few depth pieces maybe to be had in Nashville. I think St. Louis would love some roster and cap flexibility. Um, like who are like Seattle? I, they're probably in a position where they kind of just hold the line because they want to be competitive and they're still very much with their hot play in the mix for the last playoff spot. Like in that sense. That's why I think the Flames have a pretty big leg up is 
there's a lot of teams that would be interested in doing business, but when it comes to actually having impact players, mm-hmm. no team has the, the level of impact that the Flames do to offer. And that's, you know, maybe they, that could be surpassed by Jake Gensel. Like he might top Lindholm for number one on the board if the Pens do get to that point and sell, but I'm not entirely sure that I see anyone passing Lindholm to be number one. Yeah. Do I uh, do I hear a rumor that uh, you may be uh, in the 403 area code at uh, some point in the next 48 hours or so? Confirmed. Uh, visiting Caltown for uh, for a few days. I'm going to stop into the Tree Living Bowl and uh, right. on Thursday night and and catch Brad Tree Living's return to to the dome. And uh, looking forward to that. And I, I may or may not pay a visit to your little dungeon there in the dome to have a little flames talk. We uh, we would uh, we would open the door um, with. Can both with of us wide... fit in there? Yeah, like it's it's a tight squeeze, but we've fit like twenty people in here before. We've had we've had clients just crushing beers in here before. There's been like twenty. It it's packed when it's twenty, but we can we we've got three in here right now comfortably. So yeah, we can oh, we well, can I, make it I happen. I take up a good four, so we'll be good. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be just fine. We'll see you on uh, we'll see you on Thursday for the Flames and the Leafs, my friend. Uh, great stuff as always. Go check out uh, the. All of the objectives for the 16 Western Conference teams leading up to the trade deadline over a daily face-off from Frank Saravalli. We'll talk to you later this week, pal. Sounds good. See you Thursday, bud. He is Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talking this week, joining us on Thursdays as well. And this week he joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in-store today. You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, from the outside, we look at the uh, next couple of weeks as a really important stretch for the Flames. It's a real big opportunity for the Flames. Welcome back. Flames talk from the Dome and the Hot Stove Lounge. Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg along with you on this Tuesday. It's a six-game homestand against some important opponents. And then All-Star break. So for us, for you and I, for those of us on the outside, this sure does feel like a really important stretch for the team doesn't it well i mean anytime you get to go sleep in your own bed for two weeks straight while you're in the thick of a wild card chase yeah definitely you can chalk this one up in the very important stretch column in my books well and i mean this is uh this is one of the first times in quite some time that they haven't just been on the go and packing and getting ready and on the fly and i mean definitely the first time in the calendar year when they've been settled because at no point since the calendar year 2024 began did they uh have they felt settled but now they're here for the next couple of weeks then all-star break then they're back on the road it's it's funny because when the flames play on jan 27 to wrap up this six-game homestand again Chicago they'll then go on the all-star break so there won't be any media availabilities or anything like that then they're on the road uh, starting a four-game road trip on Tuesday the 6th we don't believe they're going to practice here before they meet up in Boston to play the Bruins so it's going to be one of those scenarios where 
we we don't see the Flames in this city, we're not going to see them. I think it's for two and a half weeks that they're not here in this city because of All Star break and a road trip. So it's going to be a very um, it's going to be a very interesting stretch coming out of the All-Star break. I digress. We look at this homestand as a big opportunity, but listen to the way the Flames are approaching it. They're, they're not looking at this as a six-game homestand. It's pretty clear what they're looking at it as. Here's uh, head coach Ryan Huska from Tuesday morning. Were you able to isolate? I mean, I know it's one game at a time, but six, six games at home, then a break. Were you able to isolate these games at all and sort of emphasize? One game. That's it. That's it. That's all we're doing. We're a one-game team right now. We're a one-game team right now. And even Mackenzie Weger, when I asked him earlier this week about this, that's definitely how they're approaching it. It's just one at a time. Obviously, it's great being here at home. It's obviously an important you know, part of the schedule for us, knowing that we have you know, six home games here. and um, you know, We want to play you know, solid at home. We want to make it a tough building to come into. You know, leading up into the playoffs, we want teams to you know, know that it's going to be a tough place to play. But we just got to take it you know, game by game, um, you know, not get too ahead of ourselves. But it's, a, it's an important part of the schedule for us, for sure. It's a good way of approaching things for this group right now, and I think it's working. You know, it's it's something that they have been, you know, they, they've been going about their business with the one game at a time thing since the beginning of the year. Remember during the two seven and one start and during the six game losing skid. What do we keep here from keep hearing from Ryan Huska prior to games? It's a new day. And so they are. They're focused on what is immediately in front of them, not what is behind them. And that means even if things are going well, they're not focused on what's behind them. You park and you focus on what's next, but you're not focusing on too far of what's next, which is, I think, a a good way of approaching it because it it seems to have served them well. And I've got to tip my hat to them for whether that's exactly how it feels or if they're just saying the right things. I can't imagine for the first time, as you mentioned, in the calendar year, being able to play consecutive games in the same building. And they had that seven-game stretch, which was really a seven-game road trip if you want to look at it. Yes, they played the one home game against the Ottawa Senators last Tuesday, but they were in and out. They were here back to play that one game. They were back on on the road again. So I could see how they'd be thrilled to spend two full weeks leading into the All-Star break in the same building. You've got a stretch of... Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday games followed by a stretch of Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday games and you can just settle into your routine and you get to your bed each and every night. But it's not going, oh, we play Arizona, Toronto and Edmonton this week. It's we've got Arizona Tuesday night and that's it. And if you want to talk to me about anything else, beat it because we're taking this one game at a time approach. I personally don't know if I have the discipline for it, but good on them. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's been important. But you know what? For us, we don't play for the team. We don't. I uh, What I say has no impact on how they play on the ice. What nope. you say has no impact. We uh, Just a little. have zero control. Well, maybe you a little. No. Uh, we have zero control, um, despite those who get mad at us for, well, if you guys would support them more or if you guys – okay, all right. Yeah, we have no control as to um, what happens on the ice. We, because we don't play, we can look at this stretch as an important one. It's important for them to not look at this in the big picture, but for us, this is a really 
important and crucial stretch in their season leading into the All-Star break and the first four games of this homestand really important because they've got Arizona Tuesday. The The Maple Leafs will be a tough test even though they're not you know, in a playoff fight fight with Toronto. And the circus that's going to be around yeah, it. Yeah, it's the Trilliving Bowl as, yep. as Frank said earlier this hour. Then they've got the Oilers for the first time in this building since December of <laughs> 2022. The Oilers did not play in this building for the entire calendar year of 2023. Uh, it's December. Wills is giving me a crazy look. The Oilers have not been here since December the 27th. series was wrapped before 2023 December 27th was the last time that these two teams played last season. Now, they've played the Heritage Classic in, in Edmonton, but it has been more than, or or to be, about 13 months between home games uh, for the Flames in the Battle of Alberta. So that game will be huge. And then next Tuesday, a week from today, they've got St. Louis. So they've got two teams. If you want to count Edmonton, three teams, even though a lot of people have kind of been resigned to the fact that the Oilers are in and are probably not going to fall out of this thing. But, you know, they're close in points anyway when it comes to the Flames. So there's three teams that you're in the fight with in this Western Conference playoff race uh, in Arizona, Edmonton, and St. Louis, plus your arch rival in the Oilers. And then you've got a very good Maple Leafs team that has Stanley Cup aspirations. Oh, who just happened to be led by the guy who was your general manager last year, to your point, the circus. The first four games of this homestand feel like they're pretty important and feel like they're um, going to be pretty interesting. I mean, I don't want to be all hyperbolic about it, but this stretch, whether it goes really good or really bad, will really kind of define whether or not the Calgary Flames will still be able to compete for a playoff spot post-trade deadline, regardless of the moves that they make. Because if this goes south, again, you mentioned you're playing three proverbial four-point games. And again, you can debate whether or not you think the Edmonton Oilers are already home and cooled. There's still half a season to be played for them. But the way that they've been trending with 10 straight wins, you can kind of put them in the upper echelon segment of teams that are going to be competing for the playoffs. But again, you have the Arizona Coyotes Tuesday in the four-pointer. You've got the St. Louis Blues next Tuesday, which is a proverbial four-pointer. And then you've got Columbus and Chicago to close it out, which you're not going to take anything for granted if you're the Calgary Flames. And I can appreciate the one-game-at-a-time approach, particularly when it comes to those two games. But if you can steal some of these four-pointers where you get two points, you don't let the game go past regulation, and you ensure your opponent gets none, it's really an opportunity, just like it was last week and just tied into the week before when you played teams like the Minnesota Wild, the Nashville Predators, the Arizona Coyotes, to a lesser degree the Vegas Golden Knights, where you're able to come away with four regulation wins there and really gain traction in that wild card slash, if you really want to look at it, Pacific Division chase. Yeah, it's uh, and and look, I I don't know how it's going to go. The team is definitely playing better. Yeah. Um, the first four games are the ones that you say, okay, these ones are tough and or these ones are important. And then you've got Johnny's return for the second time in the penultimate game. That one's for Kirsch in the uh, penultimate game of the homestand, and then Chicago to wrap it up, um, which they better beat Chicago this time. Well, they're due. They, went, they, they lost all three of them last year against the Hawks. Uh, so they better beat the Hawks to wrap up the homestand uh, a week from Saturday. And then they're on to the break. So if this is a, if this is a you know, a 
middling mid homestand, and then you go into the break, you're like, okay, so what are these guys? If they turn it into a really good homestand and then they go into the, the break, then there's some momentum, and I think it changes some of the conversations people are having over the break. I don't know if it – and I don't think it necessarily should – change the overall big picture view that management has about how to approach the trade deadline but i think it might change some of the conversations and definitely change the uh change the vibes inside that room so yeah what what's a what's a successful homestand for you of these next six it, it's a very interesting question because i'm going to approach it from a couple different perspectives where you've got to win more than you lose or you've got to come away with more points uh, than games played, which is typically your road strategy or your road satisfaction level. I can see a scenario where it's not the end of the world if you go three and three, as long as those three wins are Arizona, Edmonton, St. Louis. And that's not even factoring in Columbus, as you mentioned, Johnny Goudreau's second return, and the Chicago Blackhawks, two very winnable games, and you'd be incredibly disappointed if that's how you started your all-star break with consecutive losses to teams that are last in their respective divisions. But if you can win regulation games against the teams that you're chasing in the wild card, whether it be the Coyotes, Oilers, or Blues, I think you're, I don't want to say you're okay with that and you're okay with being 500, but I could see how even a mid-home stand can still be profitable for the Flames. Except that I, I still think that you're probably further back of where you want to be if you go 3-3, three and three, even if the wins come against the teams that you talked about. You're still probably... If you're still only 500 points percentage on a six-game homestand where you're comfy and cozy. That's not the best-case scenario. But I wonder, I just from my perspective, if you can just sit here and go... Okay, Aaron, you're only allowed to win three of these six games. Which three are you picking? It's going to be those three. For sure. I mean, that that, that I, I agree with. I just, I think it, if you ask me, I think it needs to be, if you're breaking the season into segments, and this is the last segment before they hit the All-Star break, I think they have got to be well above 500 in each of their segments if they're going to be where they want and and stop yelling at me about um stop yelling at me about the fact that they uh well they need to be bad or they they shouldn't be in the I get where you're coming from but I can't I can't sit here in good conscience and say well the Flames should lose tonight like I said that doesn't make it doesn't make sense that's not the way the team inside the room is right. looking at it and they're in a playoff fight and until they're not in a playoff fight we're going to talk about them being in a playoff fight I get it many of us want them to go in a different direction or believe they should go in a different direction I I grant you that and it's probably um, it's probably a fair comment saying all that. They're still in the mix, and that group inside that room is playing to be a playoff team and playing to be a wild card team. So I digress. If that's going to be where they want to be, they're going to have to be a 4 of 6 team or a, you know, 4 0 oh, and 4 1 and 2 or 4 2 and 1 team, rather. Uh, if you're breaking it into seven game segments, they got to get four and get a point in another one. That's, that is going to be how they stay in this thing. That is going to be how maybe they get themselves into the top eight when it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm not necessarily going to disagree with that. And when you outlined the question beforehand, I was going four and two on this homestand is what you have to come away with at a minimum. I just wonder if you can mitigate your losses well enough by winning those four-point games that you need. But 
even in saying that and getting the Arizona win, the Edmonton win, the St. Louis win, imagine how unimmaculate the vibes would be if you're heading into an eight-day break having just dropped consecutive games to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are second last in the Eastern Conference, 37 points in 44 games, and then you follow it up with a loss to the Chicago Blackhawks, which it just happened. We just seen it. We just witnessed it. And they are second last in the Western Conference. That can kill a lot of momentum. So I do get it from that standpoint. So that's why I say four of six. That is what What if I said three, oh, and three? That would probably be fine because then you'd okay. be better. That would uh, You'd end up with uh, nine. Nine of a possible so that, 12. That would be better than four of six. There you go. That, so that would be nine points of a possible I'm going 100% on record as saying they'll go 3-0-3. Oh, if they go 3-0-3, oh, we'll be talking about how that's a good homestand. And the great news is, is you won't play this audio back if they don't because who cares? It was a stupid prediction. Right. But if it does. But if it does, I'm a genius. I still have something in one of my folders called Vickers Nails It. I don't remember it's what it right was. It's right now, isn't it? No, no, no. It's, it's a clip that is Vickers Nails It. I just don't remember what it was that you ended up nailing. Um, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later <laughs> Deep on. Deep dive segment on that? What? So I, I do think the way they've been playing, I don't think four of six is unrealistic no. i don't i don't sit here and say no there's no way they could get four of six i'm not saying it's a guarantee either like they've been a very inconsistent team this year but the way they've played the last little bit gives you a, a lot more confidence that they could attain that four wins and six going on this homestand what's um what's been what's been the biggest part of why they've played better of late. Why in the calendar year of uh, of 2024, even dating back to December 31st when they snapped a little bit of a skid when they played the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, like since December 31st, they've only lost two games. Uh, one of them was the Chicago game. The other was the Flyers game. What, what's, been, what's been the biggest key to a solid 2024 so far? Listen, I'm going to roll it back even to mid-December and December 15th because be- from that point, the Flames are eighth in the NHL in points percentage at 692. So when, this is even since, since when? December 15th. Okay. Since Markstrom came back off of his fractured finger, I believe those dates coincide. I it might Dece- be a little December bit off. December 18th was when he came back. Okay. So, so close. So right in that wheelhouse. And one of it's obviously Jacob Markstrom. He's played lights out. We don't necessarily need to revisit that. But I just look more so, and that stat comes before the swap of Andrew Mangiapane and Jonathan Huberto swapping spots on the... I'm not even going to number the lines. I'm just going to say the lines because then you'll point out the even strength ice time totals, which are within 11 seconds of each other, if I'm not mistaken. But the Calgary Flames have just gotten a lot more balanced scoring. Their depth up front in terms of production has been a lot better over the course of the last calendar month. Uh, Over the past 13 games, they've got 10 players with at least 8 points. And that includes everybody on the Backland line, everybody on the Lindholm line, and it includes Nazem Kadri. And if you roll it back one point to seven and 13, which is still over half a point per game pace, you can add in the rookie Connor Zeri there. So I just think the fact that the Calgary Flames are scoring, not even not necessarily dramatically more, but they're not relying on just one line like they were a month and a half ago in the Kadri line. The Backland line's been scoring at kind of at will when you look at what Blake Coleman's done over the course of this season. And finally, you've got Jonathan Huberto, Elias Lindholm in sync with Yegor Sharangovich, who's really been a catalyst for that line. And what happens is when you start getting these lines rolling out, one, you create tougher matchups, but two, 
chances are when you've got three lines going, you're going to score first in the hockey game. And the Flames have scored first in 8 of 13 games. They scored first in just 12 of the first 30. So it's a dramatic turnaround. Every single coach in the NHL, AHL, CHL, USHL will tell you if you score first, your chances of winning go up exponentially. And the Calgary Flames have found a way to score first of late. Homestand starts Tuesday against Arizona, continues Tuesday and uh, Thursday and Saturday this week against Toronto and Edmonton, respectively. As we start to wrap up this hour, Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thanks to uh, Cam and Shan, our producers, this hour as well. This will uh, do it for the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors.